Welcome to the latest podcast in the Workplace series from the People Mentor, Nicola Richardson. Hi, welcome to the latest podcast from Nicola at the People Mentor. Today we're interviewing John Lamerton, who runs Big Ideas Media Limited with Jason. And I didn't know what Jason's surname was, so I'm hoping, John, that uh, you'll tell us a little bit more about that. So welcome, John. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's Brockman, uh, ah. is, uh, my business partner's uh, surname, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. I can find yours, but not his. <laughs> that says a lot. No, don't tell him that. <laughs> um, so tell us a bit more about Big Idea Media Limited first. What is it and how long has it been going? So Big Idea Media is uh, a collection of, it's almost my life's work. So mm-hmm. it started off as a uh, small internet publishing company. We had a couple of small websites Mm-hmm. which we put under the Big Idea Media umbrella. And over the last two decades, that's kind of grown to incorporate some angel investments we've done, some acquisitions we've made. We've, mm-hmm. we've been involved in about 60 small businesses mm. um, over the last two decades, and predominantly through that Big Idea Media brand. Mm-hmm. Um, more, as, more as a holding company than anything else. Um, I think we might talk a little bit later about one of my business heroes, Warren Buffett, and you know, mm-hmm. he's got Berkshire Hathaway, which used to be this, you know, textile mill um, mm-hmm. and is now a behemoth of, sort of investments. And I think that's where Big Idea Media is, is certainly heading. We've got, obviously, we're going to talk about the books later as well. That comes under that umbrella, the business mm. coaching, the angel investments. Um, yeah, it's very difficult to encapsulating in one short snap sentence yeah. what big idea media is and it's it's that question i hate at networking events what do you do yeah i've got about 17 different answers yes i can imagine <laughs> from the sound of it so what made you start this what what was behind it all oh for me it was um the absolute desire to leave a day job that i hated uh, i was a civil <laughs> servant Mm. for about six and a half, seven years. Mm. And at one point I was loving the job and it was then recategorized. I was moved to a different department and I absolutely hated it. (laughs) Overnight, (laughs) uh, I went from being kind of having the freedom, the autonomy and doing a job that I absolutely loved to doing one I absolutely loathed. And, you know, I'd I'd spend my weekend hoping I was going to win the lottery so that I didn't (laughs) have to work on the Monday. Yeah. And... At the time, this is going back to kind of early, very early 2000s. Yeah. So nearly 20 years ago now, uh, the press was full of uh, people like Brent Holman, um, Larry Page, Martha Lane Fox, these kind of internet entrepreneurs who were similar age to me, early mm-hmm. 20s. Um, and they were just having ideas and people were then throwing money at them. They were just sort of having these ideas for a website and well done, you're now worth $5 million. Oh, okay, <laughs> I can do this. I can have ideas. Yeah. So um, I thought, well, actually, yeah, let's, let's, let's build a website. Let's have an idea. I went online. I bought some domain names thinking that that's it. That's all I need to do is I need to buy the website name, yeah. have the idea, and somebody will then call me up and say, you're a genius, John. Here's a check for a million pounds. <laughs> That didn't happen though. So I ended up having to teach myself 
web design, teach myself marketing, teach myself how to run a business Mm. and actually do it properly (laughs) and not just have the idea. Um, But ultimately what kept me going was that hatred of the day job. It was the, oh, I really can't stand this. And that's why it took me 18 months to earn any money from my business. And that Mm. was working kind of four hours a day on top of the day job. I Mm. wouldn't have stuck at that if I I didn't have this very, very strong desire to leave that day job. Mm. Yeah. And that, that can be the, the, the thing that swings it all, isn't it? So, so did you use any of your, your skills from the civil service into your business out of Um, interest? I, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think so. I think it was more a case of, I knew what not to do Mm. (laughs) as a result of being in the civil service because The civil service, certainly, you know, this is going back 20 years. I don't think it's changed too much in the, uh, in the following two decades, but it was an inefficient machine. And mm. there was a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of things that just don't make sense. And if you would question, why do we do that? Well, we've always done it that way. You mm. know, and it, a lot of the, the systems and processes predated computerization. So, you know, I was in the civil service late 90s early 2000s yeah there was still a lot of paperwork happening Mm. then I think I've still got friends in the civil service and there is a lot more computerization now but when I was there there was so much paperwork and duplication Mm. and it it was just an ineffective inefficient machine Mm. Um, so I think it was more a case of I learned what not to do Uh, because literally there were no skills I could transfer to my business because the skills I needed for business were marketing, were web design, um, were you know business growth, business acumen, none of which I possessed. I, mm. I literally knew nothing when I started. Mm. <laughs> and I still know most of it now. Mm. So um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think once you go into your own business or businesses, you're, you're ever evolving. You're always learning something new. Mm. Having said that, having worked in the civil service, I did learn. And um, in all honesty, they have changed, probably not as fast a pace as they should have done. But certainly um, there's a lot of continuous improvement now and around that, which has been the skill sets that I've taken from that period to put into my business. So it's quite interesting, really, listening. And yes, when, when you're talking about it, it was very much like that, I have to agree. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving on, are these books you've written about, and I'd only just discovered them yesterday. So tell me about <laughs> these books. Certainly, yeah. So the first book I released uh, was 2017, and it was called Big Ideas for Small Businesses. And this I would describe as being my my blueprint for small business success. If you were to launch a small business, or if you've been running a small business for a while, and you're not getting the results you want, this is the blueprint. This is all the stuff that I've learned over those preceding kind of 17, 18 years, mm-hmm. that the reasons that I've had success and more importantly yeah. the reasons for a lot of my failures because I've made so many mistakes mm-hmm. um, particularly in the early days mm. and actually being able to categorize that in a book and say you know this is what I shouldn't have done mm. I went down this road as does everybody and I shouldn't have done that mm. but I did this and this worked well and just being able to share that with people mm. um, I've almost almost described that book as being 
the book I wish I'd read when I first decided to do this back in 2000. If I'd picked up a copy of Big Ideas for Small Businesses then, mm. I would be in a much, much better place now. Obviously, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with where I am, but I could have avoided a lot of the pitfalls <laughs> and it, it would have been a smoother journey, but then it probably wouldn't have been because I wouldn't have listened anyway because I knew everything <laughs> back then. <laughs> So you think, I think you do uh, uh, when you're younger, I think, I think as you go older, I now look back at some people who used to give me advice and think, oh yeah, you were right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, you've got to be open to the advice and, and being, almost being coachable, really. Um, yeah, definitely. My, my second book, which I've just released um, this last couple of months, is called Routine Machine. All right. And Whereas Big Ideas is a big overarching topic. It's the blueprint for business success. Routine Machine goes very, very deep on one topic. And it is routines. It's the stuff you do every day on autopilot without even thinking about mm. it. And it's about deliberately noticing, improving, and then automating just a handful of those daily habits and routines and the disproportionate effect mm. that that can have. This is something I've, I've been very, very passionate about and I think is, is a major contributor to the success that I've had has been I am no. I'm in the book, I've, I've called myself. I've been called the king of routine. Mm. Obviously, I've, I've created the brand Routine Machine. Mm. Uh, but my wife calls me a routine freak. <laughs> because, <laughs> I think I prefer that actually. Yeah, I do. I obsess over my routine. I absolutely do um, because I, I'm of the opinion that what you what you do on one day, what you did yesterday, what you do today doesn't matter. But what you do every day. Yeah. for a couple of years or for a couple of decades makes a huge difference. The reason I'm, I'm doing well now after 19 years in business mm. is because I've consistently done a few things every day or every week for a number mm -hmm. of years. And the reason I wasn't successful for a couple of years is I didn't do those things consistently. And it is the consistency mm. that matters. And it is about becoming, as I say, the routine machine whereby you consciously notice your routines because we've all got them we've all mm. got this stuff we do every day you know we brush our teeth without thinking about it we tie our shoelaces which if you remember learning to tie shoelaces is quite a complex process yeah definitely because i had you to teach my now, grandson <laughs> yeah. yeah but you can now do that i mean driving a car do you remember when we all had to get yeah. in the car and, and remember each individual part of the process and now we jump in the car we turn the radio on we think about what we're going to cook for our evening meal and we drive along a motorway and we turn left and we turn right and we overtake and we slow down and, and we don't consciously no. think any get, of that. And don't we just get from one place to the other and don't realise how we got there yeah, as well. How, how did I get here today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it's exactly the same with your uh, the routines that help you in your own personal development and in your own business is you've got these routines already. Let's deconstruct them same as you do with the driving let's deconstruct it and say okay let's practice clutch control let's do hill starts let's do three-point turns let's deconstruct all the individual elements let's perfect them let's get them working on autopilot and then let's stitch them back okay. together and get them happening automatically so there's absolutely zero cognitive effort required to have the success that you want mm. Oh, well, I think I'm going to be picking that book up then. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds really interesting. In fact, I, I have now got your books on my list to read. So. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. Now, it's, um, it's been a, a real love of writing 
that's led to these books. Um, mm. I famously said after the first book, I am never writing another book again. Mm. And then 12 months later, mm, I wonder, yeah, I've got an idea for a book here. <laughs> and again, this, this whole routine thing came out. I went on a podcast. Somebody called me the king of routine. And just it sparked something in my brain that went, oh, yeah, routine is really important. Actually, yeah, there's this example here of where I've used routine. Oh, my God, this person over here uses routine. And then all of a sudden, the minute it's like, you know, imagine uh, you're thinking about buying a particular brand of car. You suddenly notice that car. Everywhere. Yeah, you do. And don't you? The minute somebody mentioned how important routine was to me, I started noticing how yeah. important routine was both for me and for everyone else. And it just I went on holiday and I I had a I took my journal with me, as I always do. And I said, right, if I can write about four pages of notes all about routine, then I will write the book. And I sat down by the pool, turned my phone off, got myself a cappuccino, opened up my journal. Ten pages later, like it looks like I'm writing another book. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, so how easy is it to be disciplined in writing your books? Do you set yourself a goal every day, or how do you, how do you get to write your books? You know, cause... yeah. So I, the two books I, I actually wrote very very differently. So the very first book, obviously, I had no experience. Again, there is a very common theme here of not knowing what I'm doing, but doing it anyway. Mm. Um, I didn't know how to write a book to begin with. So all I did was I started with a blank Google Docs form. And I remember setting a public goal. And I remember saying, this is very important. This is how I'm going to hold myself accountable to doing this. This book will be coming out on the 20th of June, 2017. And I announced that, I think, in the January of that year, thinking to myself, well, I've got six months to do this. That's mm. easy. I, I can write a book in six months. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I was also running other businesses at the time, <laughs> trying to manage investments. Uh, mm. I've got two young kids as well. So I, I was juggling a lot of things. I was spinning a lot of plates. And if Jason, my business partner, is listening to this, he knows <laughs> how much I detest spinning plates. Mm. Um, you know, I can have one plate, two plates at a push. <laughs> yeah. And I've got, I've got plenty of plates going on autopilot. The routines are taking care of a lot of plates, but if I'm consciously spinning more than two or three plates, I get stressed. I panic. Mm. I, I, I get upset and things, things get dropped. Mm. And that's exactly what I was doing with the book. The first book was, okay, I need to squeeze in a couple of hours of writing here. And I tried to fit it in around other things that I was doing. I would find myself saying, well, I'll finish work. Then I'll come up to the office at seven in the evening. I'll do a couple of hours here and there. Got to the stage whereby I think it was mm. the March or the April. And I had this wonderful idea of, well, I'll, I'll have my first draft finished by the end of March. Mm -hmm. We're going on holiday to Florida. We're going to Disneyland. Um, let's... I'll take the first draft with me. I'll read that through whilst on holiday. Turns out Disneyland isn't a holiday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the hardest thing I've ever done. You get up at 7 a.m. You spend the next 14 or 15 hours walking around the park. Oh, hell. <laughs> yeah, you, you get to bed at 11 o'clock at night and then you get up and do it the next day and you just rinse and repeat that 14 times. Oh, my Sitting goodness. Sitting by a pool reading a book is not on the agenda. Oh, <laughs> So I immediately fell behind. So I didn't have the I didn't have the draft written, and it just it got to the point whereby I had in my mind the book was written, and I would say this is beginning of May. So about six weeks before public launch, I was happy that the book was complete 
ish. It wasn't proofread, it wasn't edited. And I announced pr very proudly in an entrepreneur's forum I was part of, my book's finished, it's complete. Um, it just needs editing, formatting, proofreading, um, <laughs> marketing done, the book cover done. And somebody said, oh, you need to talk to this lady called Colette. Um, she, she's a book coach, she's a book publisher. Uh, I was self-publishing the book, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll have a chat with this Colette and just, you know, tick the boxes, make sure I'm doing fine. <laughs> and Colette just grilled me and said, well, have you done this? No, I haven't thought about that. What about, you know, these three things here? No, I haven't done that. Uh, what's your plan for this? Uh, I haven't got a plan for that. And I, again, it was just <laughs> that realisation of you're not very prepared. Um, I think, yeah, I remember hearing Tim Ferriss talking about writing books and him saying, when you think you're 80% of the way there, you're probably 40 or 50%. Yeah. And that was, that was absolutely true. And eventually I said to Colette, look, can you help me with this? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I can do it. We can do all this. Um, I've got a process. This is great news. This is exactly what I do. We've got a process we go through. We'll take your kind of half finished manuscript and we'll turn <laughs> it into a nice, really well written, very polished book. Uh, and we can do that in just 12 weeks. And I remember saying, that's great. Uh, I've booked a yacht club for five weeks time. We've got a launch, uh, a publicly <laughs> announced the date, the press are coming. We've got five weeks. Uh, silence. But, uh, <laughs> so I nearly broke Colette. Um, we literally, we just worked flat out for those five weeks. Wow. We, we ended up the, the, the public launch ended up being a pre-launch where we had a version of the book, which was still full of typos. Uh, yeah. And Colette refused to have her name on it. She said, you're not putting my name anywhere near that book. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up, yeah, it was a pre-sale. We ended up doing a proper launch then in, in the July. And the annoying thing was she was absolutely right because I was trying to cut corners. I was trying, good is good enough. Let's get it out there. No, Colette held, held me to account and said, no, if you're going to put a good book out there and you're mm. going to put your name on it, and more importantly, you're going to put my name on this book, it's got to be the best it can be. And she was absolutely right. Mm. So when it came to write book number two, mm. I knew all of this. Much so, easier in a way. Exactly. So book number two was planned uh, in the summer of 2018. And I started writing it in November 2018. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing I did before I wrote a single word was I messaged Colette and said, right, I'm going to launch this book at some point in 2019. No, I'm not fixing a date now. I'm not booking a yacht club. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm going to launch it. I'm thinking summer 2019. Let's agree a schedule now. So I started work in November and I said, right, I'm going to do a week's worth. I'm going to block out the entire week. And for one week, I'm going to do nothing apart from vomit words onto a page. <laughs> and I, I've got the idea. I've got the framework. I'm going to get 30,000 words on a page in one week. I'm going to give myself the momentum that I've broken the back of this book. Yeah. I've got the bulk of my ideas out. Now, it, at this point, I'm not worried about whether the words work or whether the ideas flow, whether the stories are good enough. I'm just looking to get words down on paper. Yeah. And then I, I had this epiphany that if I'm writing a book about routine, I should use routine to <laughs> write the book. Yeah. So I immediately said, okay, I've, I've, got, I've got a week. Uh, I've got 30. I end up with 31,000 words down because 
if I set a goal, I have to hit it no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I said, I'm going to block out three days per month. So three days in December, January, February, March, April, and May. And I'm going to block out those three days and these preceding or these following um, 18 days, I'm going to write the remaining 40,000 words. I'm going to edit it. I'm going to get um, several different drafts of it done. It's going to be fully proofread. It's going to be uh, all the marketing planned, all the design done, everything that Colette needs to happen. And mm. that gives me, yeah, by May, it's signed off. We can collect and do her things in terms of, you know, getting everything set up with, with Amazon. I can plan all the marketing and it's, it's there for a kind of July launch. Mm. And what do you know? It worked. Well done. Was, there was a <laughs> schedule. We stuck to it. And obviously I knew what to expect. I knew what work was required. And I, so I, every, every month that I had my three days blocked out, I knew, well, actually I need to go from, 31,000 words to 50,000 words this month. Mm. Then uh, next month, I need to go from 50,000 to 65,000. Mm. Then the following month, I need to go from 65 to 70 and start some editing. Then I need to do lots of editing. Then it's going back and forth with the editor and doing lots of proofreading. You know, I, I think, yeah, I went, in, went on holiday in Easter 2019 and I read my book four mm. times whilst on holiday and mm. at, the, at this point you know the book's been out two months I've read that book eight times mm. and I still find something different in it every single time mm. uh, I'm, I'm in the studio next month to record the audiobook version uh, mm. so I get to read it again next month which is <laughs> actually I'm actually quite looking forward to that because it's it will have been a few months since I last read it and again I'm I'm in a different place now yeah yeah and that's really helpful tips to share with anybody who's thinking of writing a book because you do you just think you put pen to paper and you just and and then you suddenly get there miraculously so um um I, i'm i'm friends with a, a lady called Catherine williams who helps um get the books into a format um and it's always talking about um all the different types of ways of putting them on paper and I can't even say the word so I won't go there um but it's really interesting and you don't realize how much is involved do you so that that no. was that was great to hear about so thank you for that absolutely they say um good books aren't written they're rewritten and I can absolutely vouch for that so many people have said um about routine machine that it's it's, it's they say, I really really enjoyed your first book but this one's a level up mm. and initially once my head had finished swelling mm. I said well actually I can tell you why that is it's mm. because I've got a proper editor this time mm. the first time I did my own editing and I hacked away at it and this time I've had a proper editor so hats off to Greg who was the editor for Routine Machine he again held me to account and we had lots of conversations whereby he would tell me something needed to be changed something needed to be worded differently Mm. And I would initially look at his suggestions and I would say, no, 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 Greg, you don't want that. Uh, I, I'm the author. I wrote this and I think it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, no, he's right. Ah, oh, damn, he's right. Yeah. And the amount of times I went through that process of no, 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 Greg, you're not changing my right. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. That does work. That does read a lot better your way. And people are now noticing that actually, oh yeah, your writing's a lot better. Yeah. It's, it's cause it's, 
edited a lot better <laughs> yeah yeah it's amazing isn't it and it's like anything isn't it it's a team effort usually um, it is, it, it, because we've all got different skills and so put them together and what do you get you get a brilliant team so yeah so exactly yeah so yeah so that's a great one there to share thank you for that what's the biggest lesson you've learned throughout running businesses the really big one that sticks out to you no for me i think because i'm here i'm now 19 years into running businesses and having seen the journey that i've been on from literally knowing nothing and not being successful in the very beginning to having lots of success then nearly losing everything then gaining it all back again and just the the ups and downs uh, the the roller coaster ride that is an, the entrepreneurship journey. Mm. For me, it is the compounding over the long term that happens with those daily routines. Um, you know, about five years ago, uh, I started working to like a ninety day goal planning structure. Mm-hmm. And that one little habit, that one routine of just every week, I plan out what I'm going to do. And I choose one thing that's the most important thing every day or every week. And I make sure that above else, if nothing else happens, I achieve that one thing. So next week, for example, I've got a very, very busy week in my diary. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm based in Plymouth, which is down in the very, very southwest of England. Mm. And I'm, I'm, tra- I'm trekking up to Chester. So I'm mm. spending three nights in Chester. Uh, it's my birthday next week. So I'm, I have a rule. I don't work on my birthday. I also, I'm homeschooling my two children. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm Mr. Lamerton two days a week. <laughs> so next week, when it comes to getting work done, I've got, I think about an hour and a half next Wednesday oh, wow. week to achieve everything I want in the week. Now, what I could do in that hour and a half is I could try and get in box zero happening. I could, you know, try and deal with some of the paperwork that's going to come in. But what I'm not going to do any of that. What I'm going to do is identify at the end of this week, what is the one thing that's the most important task I need to tackle next week to keep my business moving forward. Because yeah. I've got my 90 day goals, I've, I already know, I'm literally, I'm, I'm sat here looking at them now. I know what my targets are for the quarter. Mm-hmm. I know what I should be working on at the end of September. I know what needs to happen. So all I need to do at the end of this week is work out where I am mm. And what time I have available next week, it's an hour and a half on Wednesday. I already know that. <laughs> What's the most important thing I can do in those 90 minutes? So clearly I'm not going to be writing another book next <laughs> week. Um, but, you know, it may be I, I'm going to have one sales conversation. Yeah. Or maybe I'm going to write one email or one part of a campaign. But I'm, I'm going to do something. And it's this constant, never-ending progression um, from where I was Back in 2000, uh, a civil servant who wanted to launch an internet marketing business, but knew nothing about the internet, nothing about marketing and nothing about running a business mm. to where I am now, where I'm able to write 70,000 word books on the subject, mm. talk on stage and talk about it on podcast. That mm. didn't happen. There wasn't a switch that flipped mm. overnight. It was a constant progression. And it's this long-term compounding anyone who's been in kind of our coaching circles will have heard me going on and on about warren buffett he is my business hero we talk about the snowball effect Mm. we talk about compounding everything you do and you know i 
there's a line I think I've used in, I think I've used it in both books now, that where you are now is the compound effect of absolutely everything you've done, everything you know, all the contacts you've made mm. up to this point. Mm. And where you want to be is going to be the compound effect of everything you do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, all the people you hang around with, all the people you associate with, and all the things you do habitually, routinely, mm. for the next two years, three years, 10 years, however long you want to go. And it, mm. it is, for me, it's that compounding effect. Mm. People are always looking for the magic bullet. and Not there, is it? If there isn't a magic bullet. The magic bullet is there isn't a magic bullet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's really interesting and that's really helpful thank you I had never looked at it that way before so that's a slightly different way of looking at it because you, you talk about everybody talks about consistency etc but uh, you've just described it in quite a different way to me and that's quite interesting so I'm I'm going to be listening to this podcast again and thinking <laughs> this through so so thank you for that thank um what's uh has been the really biggest challenge for you since you started in business and i suppose you could say lesson and challenge could be similar but then again they might not be oh definitely i mean for me the the challenge for me was knowing nothing mm. because you know i how can i be where i am now again you know let's say two two best-selling books out there you know i've got 100 coaching clients working with me i've got you know, angel investments going on left, right and center, you know, 20 years experience of businesses. Mm. None of that happens unless I pick up a copy of internet marketing for dummies at my local, I think it was WH Smith's back mm. in 2000. If I don't pick up that book because I know that I know nothing mm. and I know that actually if I'm going to escape the day job from hell, <laughs> I need to educate myself I need to do this and it's you know in terms of the biggest challenge that is the hurdle um that is the one lead domino that knocks all the others down because without me picking up internet marketing for dummies and learning how to build a website get traffic to the website monetize it deal with tax hire my first employee without learning yeah all of this none of none of what happened over the following 17, 18, 19 years would have happened because that was the hardest challenge because there I was, uh, let's say, young 20-something-year-old civil servant. That was all I knew. I knew how to be a civil servant. I knew how to push paperwork mm. around the desk. <laughs> and, you know, this, this whole idea of web, you know, web design, uh, marketing websites. I didn't even own a computer when I first launched my business. I had to borrow my girlfriend's computer um and they're now my my in-laws but you know their internet connection yeah and it was just it was a whole nother world and there's a quote i've used uh, in, in big ideas uh for small businesses i've used a quote from a famous person to start every chapter yeah apart from one chapter where i've used a quote from my mother-in-law <laughs> uh, and the quote is why is he wasting his time on this internet thing <laughs> and that's I like quote, it. Probably, and I'm probably 12 months into the journey at that point. Yeah. Why is he wasting his time on this? Because as far as she's concerned, he comes around here for two, three hours a night, sits at that computer, works and works and works, and he's spent money on domain names, and he's spent money on hosting, and he's he's spent money on all of this, and he's wasted his time on it. He's not earning any money from it. Why? Yeah. Why is he still doing this? Yeah. Um, and now I, I, you know, 
I say we've been married for 16 years now. Yeah. And I still to this day love to remind my mother-in-law that she didn't believe in me <laughs> <laughs> way back in 2001. <laughs> I bet she's having to eat her hat now. <laughs> oh, she is. She's like, yeah, yeah. You never mention that, John. Never mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Nice little story. So, um, what do you think makes a business owner a good leader? And I often have this bone of contention with people because in my view, you are a leader, whether you're a very small business yeah. or a large business. But I'm amazed at how many people think that they aren't leaders. Um, so yeah, what's your um, view? Uh, very interesting because my initial reaction to that question was I don't know because I, mm. I don't class myself as a good leader. Um, I... And again, that's, there's a lot of self-talk there. And I know if, if I was... If I was coaching myself, mm. I'd give myself a virtual slap around the face and say, don't be <laughs> stupid. Don't be giving yourself that negative self-talk about I'm not a good leader. Yeah. Because how have you got to this point whereby I've been employing people for 16 years, mm. many of whom are still with me. They, these people do not stick around <laughs> for 16 exactly. years uh, working for someone who, who's an idiot. But <laughs> I, I've still got in the back of my mind, it's I, I prefer. I think I work better alone. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not leading people because no. I think for me, what makes a good leader is someone who can get a collection of good people together, mm -hmm. inspire them to work towards a common goal, mm -hmm. put the right people in the right roles, you know, mm -hmm. round pegs in round holes. Yeah. And then get out of their way. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm very good at the getting out of their way bit. <laughs> because I like to work alone. So it's like, yeah, actually I'm just, I work from home. I work, you know, I've got my own little bedroom office. Yeah. Um, you know, people can contact me. I'm, I'm available. We have zoom calls. We have uh, Facebook groups. We've got Facebook messenger. Mm -hmm. Everybody can contact me if we need to, we can have a powwow. We can all get together. But ultimately what I think we need to do is praise the things that work well, mm. give them the tools to make their own decisions. Uh, if you've hired somebody and they're very good at what they do, your role as a leader is just to almost wind them up and let them go. Mm. I like that <laughs> description as well. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. I totally agree. I totally agree. So that's brilliant to hear. Thank you for that. Has there been um, previous managers in your life, maybe in the civil service that you learned mm. from, whether it was good or bad? Definitely. Um, there's, there's one particular manager I had in the civil service who, and I say, I, I left the civil service in, uh, oh, I know exactly when it was, 31st of December, 2001. I've got a little calendar on my desk <laughs> and it's, it's set to Monday, 31st of December. Right. Uh, and I, I, that's there to remind me that that was the last day I had a real job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if um, one way of putting it. <laughs> I, I left, yeah, 18, 19 years ago now. And I would have last worked with this particular boss uh, probably 20 years ago. Yeah. And still, I remember um, George because the way he got his team working was he got a collection of really good people. And I remember mm. almost being headhunted by George um, mm. because within the civil service, you can move within between departments. Mm. And 
most departments would just advertise and they'd say, oh yeah, we've got a space available for, for somebody. You must be, you know, mm. admin officer level three to do this job. George went out and handpicked who he wanted mm. and thought about whether they'd be a good fit for the team. Mm. And the one thing I really remember about him was we had um, in the office, it's quite a large office, and the team was situated at one end of the building and George's office was at the other end of the building. Mm-hmm. So George would come in in the morning and he'd come and sit with the team and he would wind us up. He'd get us raring to go. Mm. He'd fill, fill us full of energy. Mm. And then he'd disappear down to his office. Mm. If you needed George, you could wander down to his office and you could go and have a chat with him and see what you needed. Mm. But ultimately he inspired us to work together. He really built a team. He got the right people in the right roles and he got out of their way. And mm. in the civil service, which I labeled earlier as ineffective and inefficient, <laughs> George was the only effective manager that I ever had mm. because he was the only one who, who said, I don't care if you knock off early. I don't care if you have a laugh and a joke and mess Mm. around a bit what i care about are these targets Mm. you hit these targets i'm happy you do what you like the rest of the time and the amount of times we would or george would get it in the neck from other managers your team are too noisy (laughs) messing around your team aren't here after half past three in the afternoon (laughs) george would go my team are hitting their targets (laughs) (laughs) and it would just shut them up immediately because we knew George had our back. We yeah. knew what he wanted. He wanted to look good. He wanted to look good by his numbers being good. Exactly. And he knew the best way to do that is get the right people doing the right role, wind them up, inspire them, and then get out of their way. Exactly. I always used to say, um, I'm only as good as the team around me. And that was something that I, I accepted because, because, as you say, if you've got the right people in the right roles, they get on with it. And, and they make you look successful. So you know, it, exactly. it, it all helps. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like that. Thank you for that. Um, if you started your business again from scratch, your original business, would you have done anything differently? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that I used in Big Ideas for Small Businesses and is um, way, way back in 2000. So I was still in the day job at the moment, I was still a civil servant, but I was just starting to see the little green shoots of success in the business. Mm-hmm. And I was interviewed by the local newspaper and I've included a, a little snippet of, of the article in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's embarrassing now to look back on that interview and see just how small I was thinking. Mm. Uh, I, I had lines like, I'm not wasting any money on advertising. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to one day maybe make a real business out of this. And it was just, I was thinking so, so Mm. small. Um, You know, obviously, yes, here I was, I was a civil servant, probably, you know, my my business was earning me, let's say, £150 a month. Mm. And I thought that success would be, well, maybe if I could get that to £800 a month, that would be really, really good. I, you know, I mean, two mm. years later, I was earning six figures from that business. But mm. my my vision, my my goals, my aims were, oh, if I could just earn a hundred pound more. And it mm. was just, I was thinking so small, and I was just, 
shut off to things like oh wait you know wasting money on advertising i mean yeah i i still don't want to waste money on advertising but i know that the, the effective way to scale a business is through advertising it is through marketing hmm. but it's judging the return on investment of that marketing yeah i hmm. don't want to waste money on advertising but what i do want to do is if i've got a machine that i can put 10 pounds in and it delivers 75 pounds out of it i'm going to keep using that machine i'm going mm. to keep putting money through that machine you know yeah yeah that makes sense that's really interesting now, actually that's a tip for some for the pit listeners again isn't it and it is and i think it's it's not just you know starting again from scratch there it's wherever you are are you thinking big? I remember a few years ago, uh, I joined up with, a, I found another mentor. And I remember joining this, this mentor with the aim of things are going well. Yeah, I'm quite happy with where I am. But you know what, if I could increase my profits by maybe 10 to 20%, oh, hmm. that would be amazing. Uh, we ended up quadrupling the profits <laughs> over the next 18 months. Hmm. I was targeting 20%. And I mm. ended up with 300% or 400%. Mm. So it's, it is about dreaming big, planning big, yeah. isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we're on the final question, um, John. So what's the biggest tip you would share with other business owners for them to take away from this podcast today? I think you are where you are and what you have done up to so up to today has landed you where you are if you want to be in a different place let's say 12 months from now five years from now 10 years from now whatever what you've done habitually routinely so far has got you here yeah is what you've done so far going to get you where you want to go hmm. if it's not then all you need to do is automate those routines, tweak them, iterate them just a little bit. And it only, it literally does take a handful of those automatic scripts that you do. They have a disproportionate effect. Mm. You know, we've, we've talked to clients, there's an example in, in the book about, you know, just sending one email a week. Mm. And there's a guy in the book who made, you know, 350,000 pound sale. And ultimately he's nearly trebled his business over the last couple of years. Mm. And all he's done is sending out one email a week. And that, that's it. It's just these handful of small automatic routines. If you automate that over the long term, you are going to get success. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you do today. What you do tomorrow doesn't matter. What matters is what you do every day. Mm. What do you do every week? What do you do mm -hmm. every month? What do you do? consistently because what what you do consistently will determine where you end up whether that's as I said two years from now five years from now mm. or you know 40 years in the future when you're retired mm. what's your retirement going to look like well it depends mm. on what you did consistently over the preceding four decades mm. yeah no that that's really good tip and I'm, I'm definitely going to go and read your books now um it's been it's been fantastic um talking to you john um i've really appreciated your time today um i've learned a lot about you and a lot about how to structure a book that really stands out to me and a lot and a bit a lot about routine hadn't ever really thought about it that way so um i'm certainly going away to listen to this podcast again uh, when it's published so that's it for this week um thank you john for your time 
it's people mentor signing off fantastic thank you very much thank you thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the podcast if you need any help or advice please contact nicola on nicola richardson at thepeoplementor.co.uk the people mentor driving your business forward